We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Phobia on September 9th, 1980. It was written by Lou Lehman, Jimmy Sangster, and Peter Bellwood, with uncredited work from Gladys Hill, Dan O'Bannon, and Larry Spiegel based on a story by Gary Sherman and Ronald Shusett, directed by John Huston and released by Paramount Pictures. What started as a story by Sherman and Shusett was adapted into a draft that nobody liked by Lehman, Sangster, and Bellwood, the credited screenwriters. O'Bannon worked with... Did it stay that way? No. (laughs) Well... Are you sure? (laughs) Yes, it kind of did. O'Bannon worked with Shusett on a rewrite after having worked together on the story for Alien, and Houston's assistant, Gladys Hill, also did another pass on the script before handing it to producer Spiegel, who made still more changes. Shusett did not like Spiegel's draft and offered to send Houston the draft that he and O'Bannon wrote. And Houston basically said, but I already have this draft. I'll just use this one. <laughs> <laughs> Melvin Hill, a psychologist, was also brought on to advise on story points. But I have to assume that based on the final product, Any of his expert notes were probably ignored. (laughs) We start the film with a patient telling his doctor that he's not scared over black. And then from overhead, we see that he's in a shrinking room in like a hallway and the walls are closing in on him and he's slowly freaking out about it. Then we cut to a black guy in a dark room looking up into a spotlight and crying in fear. And then we see that he's watching a projection of a large snake eating a rabbit. We cut to the next patient, which is a woman standing near a projection of a crowd of tall silhouettes. And the doctor instructs her that this crowd is unfamiliar and frightening. I think here we cut to a different patient, which uh, this woman is, the, the projection that she's watching isn't that different. And it's not that different in angle. So at first I thought it was the same woman still, but I think this is a second woman and she's just watching a woman be attacked by strangers at night and she's repeatedly shouting let me go because she identifies so much with the woman on screen and the last patient henry is told to look up at the footage of a child on a balcony at the top of a skyscraper it's playing with a doll wearing the same clothes so i was with them for all of these phobias up until this point i'm like okay great claustrophobia fine okay we got a guy afraid of snakes okay fine we have somebody who's afraid of people being out in crowds people fine great afraid of being attacked by people who are trying to rape you is totally valid and not an extreme thing that i would call a phobia that's not something you need to cure (laughs) yeah Yeah. the 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 later scene which we'll get into where he's running the test on her again i was flipping out yeah i was like "Mm, no i don't want to be in this room it's totally acceptable to not want to be attacked by men at night or attempted rape like that's okay yeah it's not a phobia you know what i'm gonna go a step further though and i'm gonna say that it makes sense to be afraid of being on a ledge high off the ground or being in the room with a snake i don't think there's any reason to cure someone of their fear of snakes 
Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that th- what what these are saying is that these are unreasonable fears. So right, they're, they're, and I don't think that is. They're I, debilitating. So I guess in the same way, perhaps her fear of men or something like that is debilitating, but maybe. I don't know. But this last guy, they tell him to look up, and he's watching footage of a child on a balcony high atop a skyscraper, and the kid's playing with a doll dressed the same way as the kid. And then we cut to a body just falling from the top of the building. And we're not sure that it's the doll until it hits the sidewalk below and the head shatters because it's like a porcelain-headed doll. And are they saying, like, normal people are okay with this? Because <laughs> I'm not cool yeah. with what looks like children falling from skyscrapers either. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Peter Ross presents his findings to this board at this, I don't know if it's a, a it's hospital. A, yeah, it's a, ho- it's a hospital board, and I guess it's the ethics board. Okay. Just to, to kind of, like, follow up on what he's doing, which... I don't really know if they would have to unless one of the patients has complained. Yeah, I would imagine there'd have to be a complaint, but it doesn't appear as though anybody in this film has complained. Maybe he's getting some kind of funding from the hospital directly. Uh, The board points out that these patients are often traumatized by the treatment and worry that it may be doing more harm than good. Dr. Ross explains the inspiration for the treatment, which he calls implosion therapy. And uh, as a child, he was afraid of water until his father grew impatient one day and threw him into it to cure his fear. Dr. Ross is applauded for his findings in defense of the program. And somewhere, I think in the same hospital, but it's not clear yet, Barbara Gray pulls another woman, Laura, aside to ask if her dress looks nice before she heads out of the office. It, it seems like all the patients are living together right. at the hospital. Yeah. So it's, it's a study group of five people who are basically, they volunteered from prison to stay at this medical facility. Aren't, were they all in prison? Yes. Oh, I, I realized that some of them were. I didn't know that. I at least knew They're that all the criminals. guys were. Yeah. Okay. So they are all here basically on loan, but they're not very well supervised, and the five of them all live together. Dr. Alice Toland follows Dr. Ross out of the building and apologizes for any friction they've had in the past. She hopes they can stay friends after having broken up recently. This woman was questioning him in front of the board, but she wants to make sure that there's no hard feelings. And I'm like, I don't know, I I don't mean to be ageist, but she just seems like she's significantly older than him. Yeah. And I was like, you know, whatever. I mean, relationships are relationships. Um, it just it just seems as far as like in, in a film in the cinematic way, like that they wouldn't really pair the couple choice. together. Well, I, it wasn't her age that bothered me. I feel like she was pretty unattractive. Like I didn't feel like he, the, he based on what happens later, like he's the kind of person who would go for somebody who looks like her right yeah that's true she compliments his intriguing research and we cut to a room with all of dr ross's test subjects they wish barbara luck in her test today dr ross drives her downtown and he lets her out of the car and instructs her to take the subway to the markets buy herself something nice like a scarf and then to walk to his apartment where he will be waiting for her when ross gets home his landlord i think uh, his superintendent landlady yeah okay uh landlady reminds him that he is missing his weekly hockey game and he tells her all about barbara and says can you tell her i'll be back as soon as i can which how fast is this hockey game gonna be or are you expecting her to just hang out for an hour and a half after she gets to your apartment but also like he should have called Not, off the test or, or called off hockey yeah, I I, right. <laughs> I was in I, like I was like going this seems really wrong to do. Yeah. 
because you know that there's a risk that this person's going to have a panic attack today. Yeah. What what if, what if she flips out on the subway and she needs someone to come get her? Or... Yeah. What if she doesn't even get to your apartment? <laughs> but uh, but anyway, he goes to his hockey game, and uh, well, oh, sorry to go back. Yeah. Go ahead. But also. Wouldn't you want to find out the results of your experiment? Like, in theory, you're testing your hypothesis about curing these people. Right. So wouldn't you want to know the results of what happens when your most promising patient returns from an experiment that you have designed? Mm-hmm. Or are you that than, confident that you're like, Yeah, rather than just leaving back. it up to chance. <laughs> we cut to Barbara on the subway, and she is trying to talk herself down from a panic attack in voiceover. But eventually it bubbles over, and she freaks out. And then she's just throwing her way through these dense crowds on her way back to the doctor's house. So I'm assuming she gets there way ahead of schedule. And uh, when she gets to the home, uh, Dr. Ross's landlady explains what's going on, that he's not in, but he'll be back as soon as possible. And Barbara's trying to catch her breath in Ross's apartment. The landlady offers her a cup of tea, which she always has running in her apartment. So she leaves. And then Barbara's just pacing the apartment alone. She finds a cabinet drawer with her name on it. And when she pulls it out, she triggers an explosion in the house. <laughs> I was totally surprised. Like, yeah, I was like, it's like, oh, she's going to open up her file. That's not cool. He's going to probably have se- like I thought for, like it was going to be the reveal was going to be like he's going to find really negative comments or something. like. And then that. she would have another panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> but when the whole thing just exploded. Yeah. I was what? Yeah, it was crazy. But I think it's kind of presumptuous to think that somebody or anybody is going or the particular person you're after is going to open this particular drawer well it's got her name on it if i was if <laughs> i was in someone's office and they had a drawer that had my name on it i'd be like what the fuck is this well, open it except up. you're a patient of theirs yeah i would still be like oh let's get my see. whole drawer <laughs> let's see if dr ross thinks i'm cute and he wrote about it in his notes Right. I don't know. I but I I think I I still think that it is assuming a lot that somebody is that that somebody is going to open that drawer. Yeah. In that that particular time. Well, if she doesn't, and the person then... you're after is is you know is the one that opens that drawer because you know it it comes up that we don't know if they're after the doctor, or they're after her, or right. God, I mean, nobody brings it up, but what if somebody was after that landlady? You know. Well, to be <laughs> fair, maybe this is the seventh drawer, and this is the first time she's actually opened it. So they're all bombed. No, like they're he's all been, to blow. like like whoever is out to get whoever has set up a bunch of drawers that got ignored in the past, and this is the first one that finally went yeah, off. I feel like you would have switched tactics at that point. I don't know. Sometimes people just keep using the same shitty tactic for a whole movie. And I mean, and uh, I guess it, we would also need to set her up. I, I feel like the character needed like a setup of being like a snoop. Like if if she was like eavesdropping on someone's conversation or trying to look at a file on something, just just something to like to yeah. get like give an indication that this is something she would do, but or I think something at this that point, the other person would notice about her. At yeah. this point in the movie, though, we wanted it to still be ambiguous mm. who the target of the bomb was. Sure. On his way out of hockey practice, Doctor Ross is kissed by his girlfriend and then handed a phone by a security guard. He heads to a nearby police station to identify the body of Barbara Gray, which how yeah and do you call no. a, the psychiatrist or no. behaviorist to come down to the station and identify I call next of kin yeah it would be a family member but he gets called in and he does he does the identifying inspector barnes asks the doctor a line of questions about his experimentees though ross prefers the word patient 
Barnes asks if Dr. Ross was surprised by his patient's death. And he says, yeah, of course I was surprised. Like, why would I have expected her to explode in my apartment? <laughs> and then the inspector says, well, I'm not. What surprises me is that you don't seem to realize that it was supposed to be you in that drawer downstairs. You. Clearly, this person was trying to kill you. Why is that clear? What? And why is that less surprising? Yeah. Why doesn't it surprise you that someone's trying to kill an experimental behaviorist? I don't understand. Dr. Ross's girlfriend, Jenny St. Clair, shows up crying. It's kind of weird that they didn't come together since they started in the same place. And uh, for whatever reason, Dr. Alice has also been invited to the station. And so. And somehow Jenny got access to the apartment. Yeah. She, she says, went in there on the way here. Yeah. <laughs> she says, I went to your apartment. There was blood everywhere. I was like. How did you get in? Wouldn't yeah. that have been like police secured or something? I, I assume the door was blown open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very easy. Uh, <laughs> she saw the blood out in the street like, or something. I was just walking by your place and everything was outside. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Including the your of, patients. It's like Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> A refrigerator Full of condiments. Full of condiments and nothing to eat. <laughs> Dr. Alice is here for the scene for some reason and tells Jenny that she and Ross went to an exhibit of hers last year. And that he bought her a small piece there because she's just trying to be like, you know, I dated him before you did. Yeah, she she looks super pissed yeah. to see Jenny St. Clair. I almost uh, said St. Cloud for some reason. <laughs> I had to correct myself mid-word. Uh, Barnes asks why she was at the house, why Barbara Gray was at the house. And Ross explains today's experiment and that he asked her to come by because they were going to test if she could get through the day. And Barnes turns to Jenny and says, Miss Sinclair, do you know any of Dr. Ross's experimenty patients? When she says no, Barnes admits that he was just hoping she might magically know something because of her lady senses. I thought I could make use of your woman's intuition. Dr. Toland is too close to the subject. Wouldn't she also be too close? Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't you yeah do you have any idea who might be trying to kill your boyfriend or husband it's like i was hoping on your women's intuition guess how they're all on this ouija board yeah that's all i got left those are my tools as an inspector yeah i don't know how to solve crimes do you have spidey sense yeah uh barnes repeats that someone wants ross dead and ross says he doesn't believe it while they're investigating ross plans to stay at jenny's place and then we cut back to jenny's place where she starts the conversation with Peter, you should have seen your apartment. There was blood everywhere. I don't know why she went there first. Jenny worries about anyone that might be trying to kill him. She asks Ross which sculpture he bought his ex-girlfriend and admits that it made her jealous to hear. Like that wasn't the whole point of Alice bringing it up. Yeah. Ross is hounded on the way to work by reporters. Hounded. There's only two of them here at this point. There will be more later. Uh, Ross finds Barnes in his office. And he confirms that the obvious bomb was a bomb. He's like, well, it turns out that explosion at your house, it was a bomb. The bomb went off. Barnes asks Ross why he didn't offer up that Dr. Toland apparently has a key to his apartment. I guess he just randomly asked her like, hey, do you happen to have a key to Dr. Ross's apartment? And she was like, yep, here you go. Well, he had asked Ross earlier, uh, does anyone else have a key to your apartment? And he said no. Well, Dr. Toland was in the room. Yeah, and, he and then said, he just walked around asking other people after yeah. that, even though she could have spoken up and said, I have one. Which totally throws Ross under the bus. Yeah. Because she could have said, uh, I have one, you yeah. know, right then and there in that room. Yep. But instead, he goes behind her back and says, oh, yeah, I totally have one. He lied. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a, <laughs> That's he's true. a liar. Barnes thinks that the prime suspects are the four surviving experimentees. 
and he asks if he can sit in and covertly listen to his meetings with the patients today. Ross says, well, I'm bound by a requirement of confidentiality. You can't just sit in while I speak with my patients. And he says, yeah, but can I? And then Ross says, sure. (laughs) He really doesn't provide any further argument other than like, what are you going to talk about that's such a big deal? Just let me do it. And he's like, oh, all right. He's like, besides, they're not going to confess to you because they're trying to murder you, according to my theory anyway. Yeah. Any confession would be inadmissible. Yeah. So just let me listen. (laughs) In the meeting, he has Bubba King, who is the snakeophobe, and he says, what I can't get over is, they were trying to kill you, so if they succeeded, Barbara would be here in your place. And it's like, no, none of us would be here. Yeah. You, You wouldn't have anyone to meet with here if she had survived and i had died um if they're all actual convicts that are getting out for this experiment like i assume that it would not be in their best interest to try to kill this man because they'd probably just all go straight back to jail and not be any better off for it yeah the only thing that the that he doesn't have in this case is a motive which is the same thing that he doesn't have for anybody else later mm-hmm. it's just weird that the motive is is what was tripping him up later when there's no clear motive here it's like this guy's trying to help you and if you kill him you'll have to go to prison well there's your motive what that doesn't make sense behind a one-way mirror barnes looks over bubba's file and mentions that he killed his wife's lover uh, the patients are all starting to point fingers at dr clegg as the suspect of this bombing uh, she he or she i'm not clear who dr clegg is it might be the head of the board but i can't remember but it's a colleague of dr ross's who might be jealous enough about all the articles about this brilliant young behaviorist to have dr ross killed johnny venuti the claustrophobe speaks up and barnes behind the glass says that he's been arrested countless times but it sounds like nothing serious it's just been like robberies and stuff like that not like murders or bombings Laura suggests that Alice Toland might be behind it, and uh, the acrophobe speaks up, Henry Owen, and Ross tells them all that they have to fight to prevent this program from being shut down or else they're all going to have to go back to jail. Suddenly, Barnes knocks at the door and asks for Henry to come with him, and it has, even as he's standing up, he's like, I didn't do nothing. I'm innocent. Honest to God. Like, just drawing a lot of mm-hmm. criticism already. Ross excuses the rest of them, and Bubba asks if they can skip treatment today but Ross suggests that they do it for Barbara. Barnes and his assistant start abusing Henry in an interrogation room. Evidently, he's an explosives expert and a safecracker from a gang of bank robbers. After Henry explains his fear of heights and falling, they start pulling the chair out from under him and throwing him around the room as a hilarious gag. We cut to Ross torturing Bubba with a snake. Uh, He's just freaking out in a chair as the snake gets closer and closer to him. This isn't a projection. This is a real snake this time. A harmless one, probably. Why it's necessary to cure a fear of snakes is unclear to me, let alone heights and whatever Laura's specific fear is, because I'm not even clear what her irrational fear would be called, like rapophobia. <laughs> her totally valid fear? Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to call that one. <laughs> from, from the projection we saw earlier, I'd guess being murdered, a fairly <laughs> common fear. <laughs> the cops keep throwing Henry around in this concrete room, and uh, we finally get Ross... Uh, getting Bubba to touch the snake, not a euphemism. He's <laughs> touching the snake in the office. A cop starts to walk Henry back to his cell, and at the top of a flight of stairs, Henry spins to knock the cop down, and uh, he just f- falls down the whole flight of stairs, and then Henry kicks him in the ribs at the bottom. 
He takes the cop's gun and a hostage and just walks out of the building. I thought what I thought was happening here when he was taking him up so many flights of stairs was that Barnes was going to take him up to the roof and like oh hold, god hold him oh. over the edge of the roof or something to get to get some kind of confession. Well, maybe he thought that too. Well, that would make more sense as to why he sort of bugged out of there. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't real clear on why he sudden. I mean, I I get it. You don't want to be abused by police officers, but it seems like a bad idea to to flee the police station especially when you're already a convict yeah uh outside he's able to carjack a guy and drives off and the police chase him for a while he switches cars once but eventually he crashes the car over an embankment into an empty construction site the police like he starts running and the police go don't shoot him he's unarmed and i was like what (laughs) is that what they would shout yeah or a, what police officers respect the fact that people are unarmed and they don't shoot them? Uh, okay, then that's this the is 1980. Jo- that, okay. That's the joke I was also making was he's unarmed and white. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, he runs to a nearby abandoned building or maybe under construction still, and we cut to Ross jogging with his girlfriend. She's poking fun at him for pushing her so hard, and she mentions that oh, isn't this the park that Barbara walked through on her way to exploding at your house? And he goes. Barbara? <laughs> <You> <laughs> remember. Was like Barbara Gray? The one that exploded at your house yeah. yesterday. He already forgot about the lady who's still spackling his home office. <laughs> uh, Jenny's a little disgusted with the callous terms Ross uses to describe Barbara because he's like, oh yeah, Barbara, she was a good patient. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> She's like, what? That's all she you have to say? She always paid her bills. <laughs> uh, Henry has now climbed the full framework of this abandoned building dozens of stories up. This makes no sense. This man doesn't have a fear of heights if he's doing this. Apparently, Henry demanded to speak with Dr. Ross, so they called him, and he climbs up the building to speak with him. This is, to me, I I probably am going to end up liking this movie maybe more than you guys. I think so. Because there was a lot of really things that I thought were interesting, and, and, and I liked what they did. And I liked that we couldn't hear what they were talking about. Although, I pretty much figured everything out earlier on but there's two cops with him yeah as he's talking to the guy so whatever they said to each other those two cops would have heard well but then he crawls out and maybe he could have said something a little bit quieter maybe um but but then he just jumps off yeah or falls off but as they're still up there talking to each other uh jenny notices that they're not using a net and barnes tells her can't use a net he's too high up for that the net would break this is obviously not true. And even if it was, lift the net under him, you dum-dum. <laughs> like, just get two cranes out here and lift a net so that it's one story below him. But yeah. you literally don't even have a net fabric that can catch a person moving at terminal velocity. Mm-hmm. There's no way that's true. They definitely use nets in this case. Ross gets to him and reaches and reaches until Henry just turns and jumps, conquering his sphere. <laughs> uh, Ross should be proud. Jenny tries to console Ross back at their apartment. Yeah. Uh, Ross Ross is reading the paper of the article, and he slaps his hand on the picture of the article like he's demanding pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> he's like... <laughs> but he also like, says it's a terrible picture. Like, that's what he's upset about. <laughs> but it's just like, why would you just slap your own newspaper once yeah. you've read the article? <laughs> Very strange. Um, but he also admits here that he's so upset because Henry was clearly close to success. Because he was able to get that high in the building. Yeah. It's like, you know, maybe if I was worse at my job, he wouldn't have died in the fall. When he's leaving Jenny's place to go back to work, like, when he exits her apartment, her name is, like, embroidered on her door. I was (laughs) like, well, that seems kind of weird. But, you know, I guess, you know, you could do that. 
like if it's like a really fancy apartment building but then he gets in a really crappy like freight elevator and goes down to like a demilitarized zone of yeah. the neighborhood is like is this where she lives yeah this is like the worst neighborhood ever but her apartment seems so nice yeah it's a very weird elevator though ross is swarmed by journalists on his way to the office he can't even get out of the car so right when he pulls up to the curb he just peels out and drives away and i guess he's out to have lunch with the chairman of the board from earlier Mm -hmm. and ross is informed that the police have concluded that henry killed barbara intending to kill ross and then committed suicide in embarrassment case closed yeah Yeah, they have zero evidence for this yeah but when ross finally gets to his office with his patients nobody wants to talk to him he tells laura that he doesn't believe that henry tried to kill him and laura follows him to his office for treatment he shows her footage of a woman being manhandled and raped and insists it's her in the footage, so she starts crying again. And it's really terrifying. Yeah. Like, again, even me, if I was in that little projection room being shown this stuff, I would be very uncomfortable and upset. Yes. And so, of course, as a result of this, she has a panic attack and rushes out of the room. And Ross has her admitted into the hospital on the grounds. Dr. Toland sits Laura in a warm bath to calm her down and then leaves her unattended for a bit. Someone else enters the office, and she sits up and covers herself, implying that it wasn't Dr. Toland again coming back in. It must have been a different person. And hands wrap around her face and push her under the water until she drowns. Had she been afraid of water, this this death death would have been very ironic. Don't get me started (laughs) on how these deaths don't represent their phobias well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she is not a drowning fear person yeah. that was his thing the body is rolled out of the hospital under a blanket and the police call out to the ice rink where dr ross is conveniently playing hockey again and johnny and bubba the last surviving patients are taken into custody or at least bubba is but johnny escaped as soon as he saw the body getting rolled out of the hospital so he ran barnes's assistant heads to ross's hockey game and he tells him hey laura's dead and barnes wants to see you Barnes has Bubba in custody, but Venuti ran. Ross wants to find him first and threatens Barnes' man with a report for mistreating Henry unless he waits before putting out the APB to give Ross a head start finding Venuti himself. I'm not clear how he knows Henry was mistreated. Um, Does he have footage of that or something? Uh, I mean, maybe they meant he. Maybe Henry said it something to a bit about it on the while they beam. were on the cliff, maybe. Oh, I think I think he does imply that later, that, that Henry told him everything. Oh, okay. Ross gets a call from Venuti and gives him Jenny's address to meet him there. Yeah, and then doesn't tell Jenny that he's coming. That's really weird. I was like, uh, again, this is where I'm really starting to suspect things yeah. about what the plot is. Well, if there was any doubt at this point that Ross knows that Venuti isn't the killer, it kind of goes out the window when he's like, yeah, go to, go to Jenny's house and just hang out with my girlfriend unattended. Yeah. Yeah. And again, not telling Jenny that she's coming, that he's yeah. coming to stay there. Venuti gets there and he tells Jenny that he's worried that he and Bubba are next. At the window, he sees Barnes and his assistant getting out of a cab and he worries that she called the police, even though he's been here the whole time with her and knows she didn't call the police. Can we address the fact that she just let a known convict and crazy man into her apartment without having been warned that he was coming by her boyfriend? That's yep. true. All he heard, all she heard through the door was, hey, come on. Johnny Venuti. What do you want? Dr. Ross um, told me to come here. I'm I'm his patient. And it's just like, okay, well, he is treating people that are possible murderers and also 
are already convicts. I'm not yeah. letting you into my apartment. <laughs> you can come in, but you have to promise me you're not the person who murdered three other people and is trying to kill my boyfriend. And, yeah. and also, don't start talking really frantically and crazy while you're in here. Yeah. Oops. And and I'm not clear why Barnes and his assistant are getting out of a cab. If they're, do well, they not have use I, of a it's, police vehicle? I, it is a squad car. Oh, is it? Um, th- I think this is all up in Canada. Oh, okay. And I and I don't know if. Well, the, yeah, that makes sense. It was shot in Canada. Do the police in Canada use taxis? No, but I, I think <laughs> I think their their squad cars might be of a Yellow different style. Or something. Okay. <laughs> Venuti jumps on top of the elevator in Jenny's building. Not clear why he does this. He could just as easily have gotten in it and taken it down because the police he, are coming up the stairs. Right. But instead, he climbs up on top of it, and someone activates the elevator without getting inside of it. No idea who. Johnny starts screaming on the top of the elevator, and the cops and Jenny chase him to the top floor just to see him smashed up against the ceiling of this elevator yeah, he shaft. Yeah, gets Amelia Westervest. Yeah. That's Which not it, how elevators yeah. work. <laughs> even in 1980, people knew this wasn't how elevators work. And you can tell, even on this particular elevator, that there's a beam that runs across the top of it that's like a foot tall and there would have been plenty of room for this guy to lay down flat on the top of the elevator and not hit the ceiling yeah but also i'm just really bothered by these deaths are supposed to be mimicking their phobias and that one is a little bit closer no no no. i get it that it's the claustrophobia thing Mm -hmm. but what i don't get is how there is no possible way you could have crafted this Right. So, like, it's supposed to mimic the phobia, but, like, it's just dumb luck if it happens yeah. or not. Does the guy run up into an o- a giant office building that's under construction so that he can fall out of it? Dumb luck. Does the guy jump on top of an elevator and get squashed because he's, you know, afraid of, you know, small spaces? It's just all random. He could have gone anywhere else. Also, did he call the inspector to go to, the, to Jenny's house? Because if he didn't, then there's no reason that he wouldn't have just been in the apartment when he got there. I don't, I don't understand how this killer could be in all of these places at the right moment to make sure that this happens. And the killer definitely couldn't have coordinated a guy with a fear of heights climbing 30 stories of an empty building. Right. Like, how would he know that that guy would drive there and crash yeah, his car? Yeah, for all you know, he could have gotten shot coming out of the police station. Yeah, or he could have gotten away mm. and just lived the rest of his life in another state somewhere under a different name. And how did the killer so craftily, you know, create a scenario where somebody who's afraid of people drowns? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) After Johnny is smashed in the elevator, we see the police are calling for an ambulance when Ross pulls up in a car moments later. So it clearly wasn't Ross who activated the elevator. The cops question him about his experience in Vietnam because it turns out he also has demolition experience. And they ask why it took him so long to get to Jenny's apartment, and he shows them a ticket that he got for blowing a red light on the way there. In this entire scene, Ross seems like he couldn't care less about the four of his five patients that have died, and it's really pissing Barnes off, and it's kind of pissing me off, too. It's like that in all the scenes. Well, And Barnes is totally on board with suspecting Ross now. Yeah. Like, he's just like, I have everything but a motive. He's finally caught up with the audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, weirdly ross can barely keep his eyes open for this scene it almost feels like he's either drunk or just hasn't slept for days because he's just kind of like yeah what are you trying to say you're saying i'm a suspect now okay are you accusing me of murder (laughs) (laughs) it's actually really infuriating to look at though are you accusing me of murder 
Barnes shows Ross a gun that they found, and he's like, do you know what this is? And he's like, yeah, it's my gun. He's like, why do you have a gun? It's for self-defense. Why do you keep it at work? Where where would you expect me to keep a handgun? At home, where everyone keeps their handguns? <laughs> it's like, obviously, no, I'm going to keep it at work where I need the most self-defense at a hospital. Surrounded by convicts. Yeah, but there's also, if you're going to get shot, do it at a hospital. And guns are less useful at a hospital because if you... There's so much oxygen? Sure. <laughs> what? <laughs> tanks, tanks of oxygen. You know, people on oxygen machines and... Blow up the hospital. Yeah, blow it up. Barnes basically says, I know you did it, but I don't know why. And Ross says, okay, well, let me know when you figure out why I did it. And then Ross leaves with Jenny. Because you need to know why in order yeah. to convict somebody of it, murder. We don't need a lot of evidence pointing to you. We need to know why you did it. Otherwise, th- that's the one it's, thing. Otherwise, it's not satisfying to yeah. the court. But before this, all we needed to do was just guess that some guy that fell off a building did it. That's all we needed before. Or yeah. ask now a woman. Now we need to know why. Yeah, or ask <laughs> a woman. <laughs> What's your intuition on this? I'm a chief inspector. <laughs> I'm too close to the subject as the chief inspector. Uh, the chairman of the board tells him that his program is being shut down, and he feels the need to explain why an 80% fatality rate <laughs> is automatic grounds for canceling. Uh, they've died in the last 48 hours, as far as I can tell. Uh, Ross asks if he can go visit the last surviving member, and the cop who thinks he killed the other four goes, Sure. <laughs> that sounds fine. Maybe I'll catch you in the act. Yeah. I'm just going to keep thinking about why you're doing this. <laughs> Nobody follows him to supervise or anything. Dr. Toland wanders into his office and starts going through his stuff where she's caught by Jenny. Through this conversation with Jenny, Toland learns that Ross's sister drowned when he was seven and that his fear of water was something that he thought his father was punishing him for by throwing him in the water. I don't, I don't understand the motive still, but she says, well... You know, I was with him for a couple of years and he never told me about his sister, so I must be awful. But uh, it turns out that his sister died and she drowned and then his dad threw him in water after that. So he thought his dad was trying to kill him or he thought his dad was punishing him for not saving his sister. Like, cause if you had known how to swim, you could have saved your sister. Right. So he thinks that the best therapy is to just put them into those extreme circumstances. Yeah, the it's forced like confrontation. You figure it out right now or, you know, you get to die too. Which also, it wasn't that he had a fear of swimming or a fear of water. He just was a child who did not yet know how to swim. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, th- this I don't understand how this becomes a motive, but then she suddenly just pieces it together on her own in this sort of nonsensical way. Which is what I'm guessing is the reason that he broke up with her. Because she's a psychologist and and she'll maybe piece it together if he, yeah. she gets too close. But So I guess the motive in this case is that he wants to kill people as a punishment for them having the fear in the first place. Because if he can't cure them, then... Then something. Toland never finishes her sentence here. These patients are criminals. And they're guilty too. And if he fails, and if he can't cure them. What are you saying? Where's Bubba King's room? I want to talk to Peter. 
Where's Bubba's room? Jenny rushes down to Peter's treatment room to find him with Bubba. All the lights are off and Bubba's nowhere to be seen. And Peter is just out of his mind. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, let's go move to Houston. Yeah, they talk about starting their lives over in Houston where nobody knows that his plan failed because information can't cross state borders. And uh, Jenny eventually asks, hey, where's that Bubba guy that you were left in charge of that everyone's worried you're going to murder? And uh, and he's like, oh, he's right over there. And he flips on a light and points to his corpse on the stage. And Ross says that he had to punish them all for not getting better. Apparently, Bubba's fate was to be bit by a poisonous snake here and die instantly. Yeah, because everyone knows rattlesnake bites are instant, especially if you're a 300-pound man. Yeah. Like, no, this wouldn't even gonna... kill him without the antivenom. <laughs> yeah. At least this one is orchestrated properly. He's afraid of snakes. He gets bit by a snake, and Ross is there to completely control the situation. Yeah, it makes much more sense than the other four so far. Then uh, suddenly Ross pulls a gun because he knows about Jenny's fear of guns, I guess. <laughs> and uh, he throws her on the desk and puts the gun in her face. And he tells her again the story that she already knew about his baby sister that she had to tell someone else a second ago. And uh, then he turns the gun on himself and fires around into his own face. And right, then his, right into his eyeball. Yeah. And then his body sprawls out over the controls of the projector system. So we see the film of the body falling from the balcony again. And uh, that's how we end the film. This was dumb. That was my review of this. Yeah. This movie's really dumb. It's so confused about what it's trying to say. It's everything about this story and script feels so lazy. It yeah. feels like, oh, I can't figure out how to kill somebody who's afraid of people. Uh, let's just drown her. Uh, no, no, you blow her up. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> that, one, that one got blown up. The one who's afraid of getting raped gets drowned. Right. <laughs> it's so ironic because it's not what she's afraid of. I'm raping your lungs with water. It's just like I was waiting the whole time because I'm like, okay, so he's the most obvious suspect from like the first opening scene. Right. And I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the twisty stuff to come, and I'm like, but then he just is that person, and I'm like, yeah. this just feels lazy. It feels Especially so lazy. The first scene with the inspector when he sits him down, and he's like, "Well, clearly you didn't do it. Like, we got to figure what? out who did do it because no. they were probably trying to kill you." And it's like, what are what are you basing any of that off? Yeah, of? seems pretty obvious that I set this up so that she would be in my apartment without me there doesn't like and and then yeah like like we've said the the three murders in the middle i don't even blame him for that had nothing to do with him he couldn't have possibly orchestrated them i don't understand this movie is dumb yeah and the explanation of his motive still doesn't make any sense like even if they had footage of him killing bubba i bet barnes would have been like i don't understand what that doctor was (laughs) saying so i don't think we can convict him because i still don't understand the motive well and i think it gets it, it confuses itself like because of his whole story about his sister drowning. I'm like, was he afraid of water before she drowned? And it's his fault because he was afraid of water before she drowned. Who knows? But then is it a punishment or is it like a last dish effort effort? Like, you know, it's, it's sink or swim now. Like now is your moment to shine. So he's like, I've, tr- I've, I've gone through the therapies. You guys have all had your chance. This is the final test. And they all failed. Well, that's what I think. For for in the case of, in the case of, uh, really actually only in the case of Henry, who's up on that beam, yeah, and 
apparently he confessed not apparently he does confess at the end he says all i had to tell henry to do was look down and it was enough to cause him to freak out and fall and i was like you also had to somehow trick him to the top of a building right but i guess in his mind had he said henry looked down and henry looked down but still was able to get off of that beam then he would be cured yeah and what could laura have done to survive her murder (laughs) not not drowned well, and just I, learn it, how to breathe water. And for that matter, for Barbara, like, if she had stayed out and about with people and hadn't freaked mm. out on the subway, like, she would she not have been blown up? I, I, I think, yes. Like, he would have gotten home and he been at the back same time hockey. and he would have not let her go through the file, yeah, so I guess she would have lived. And, and, and had Laura survived her treatment in the projection craziness room, he she wouldn't have, have been in the hospital she, and drowned. Yeah. Or she, well, she wouldn't she wouldn't to me that was his t- sorry to peter i feel that that was her failure right okay so yeah, what is I, what I is bubba's failure because he but... literally touched a snake the scene yeah. before he got murdered um but i guess this i i'm all, all the bubba all i can say is loose end but to what end yeah. and then to uh, nudie or to to johnny yeah, and that, yeah and again that elevator <laughs> that one was just a freak accident like even dr roscoe he's like what the fuck that's crazy <laughs> he died that's... by being crushed that was the thing <laughs> yeah i wasted all this time building my crushing machine i didn't even think about her elevator <laughs> i was gonna burn him alive <laughs> because i forget what people's fears are very quickly yeah no it's dumb i can't believe this is a john houston movie i i don't think anybody cared about it i think the fact that dan o'bannon and ronald Shusett were like hey we have a much better draft that we finished uh we really think you should take a look at this one and he was like meh i already have a draft like i don't have time to wait for you to mail me something let's just make this shitty movie i've already read this one and i think it's fine and like you said it was shot in canada it was a tax break nobody cared about this movie when they were making it i have a feeling nobody cared about it after it came out too yeah i think it barely came out our director here was john houston he directed the maltese falcon Treasure of the Sierra Madre, <laughs> Key Largo, The Asphalt Jungle, African Queen. You can't the, win them all. The, <laughs> the Gregory Peck, Moby Dick, Night at the Iguana, The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean, The Man Who Would Be King, and this. <laughs> uh, he also directed the Scottish Castle scenes and the scenes at James Bond's home in the 1967 Casino Royale. Yeah. He's one of four credited directors on that film. He cameos in a lot of his own films. Uh, he's also Buck Loner in Myra Breckenridge, Grizzly Adams in The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean, The Lawgiver in Battle for the Planet of the Apes. He plays John Hay in The Wind and the Lion. He's the voice of Gandalf in the Rankin-Bass Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays the lead Jake Hannaford in Orson Welles' direct-to-Netflix feature The Other Side of the Wind. And he's probably best known for Noah Cross in Chinatown, a performance parodied by Ned Beatty as the mayor in Rango. Houston's voice and mannerisms were also the inspiration for Daniel Day-Lewis's performance as Daniel Plainview in There Will Be Blood. My straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up! The writer here, Lou Lehman. He also directed The Pit next year. Oh, yeah. You know The Pit? Oh, I know The Pit. 
All right. That's gonna be on my that's gonna be on my list. I think I used to confuse the cover box for the pit and the cover box for the gate. Very similar. Yeah. Hands coming out of a hole. Yeah. <laughs> uh writer Jimmy Sangster. He wrote and directed Hammer film The Horror of Frankenstein, and he wrote The Horror of Dracula. He has a story credit on The Devil and Max Devlin next year. Writer Peter Bellwood wrote Highlander and Highlander 2. Story credit for Gary Sherman here. He wrote and directed Poltergeist 3 and wrote and produced on the Poltergeist Legacy TV series. Another story credit for Ronald Shusett. He wrote Alien with Dan O'Bannon and he gets character credits on every Alien project since then. He also wrote Above the Law, Total Recall, and Free Jack. Uncredited writer Gladys Hill was a longtime assistant to John Huston who did a pass on the script and also co-wrote The Man Who Would Be King with John Huston. Uncredited writer Dan O'Bannon wrote Dark Star for John Carpenter, Alien for Ridley Scott, Heavy Metal for Jimmy T. Murakami, Blue Thunder for John Badham. Fun fact, I helped install a TV at Mr. Badham's home one time. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, because I was working on The Beast and he directed an episode and he took advantage of working for Sony Television by buying a television on the lot and I delivered to to his house. And I don't know if you had mentioned... Up. Uh, Life Force. Uh, not yet, but I I have it coming here. He he wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead. So uh, Dan O'Bannon actually directed that one. And then he wrote Life Force and Invaders from Mars for Toby Hooper. Yeah. Uncredited writer Larry Spiegel wrote for the Return of the Planet of the Apes series in the 1970s. He also produced Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, as well as a TV movie called Remo Williams, The Prophecy. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a TV movie follow-up doesn't have fred ward and more recently he was an ep on eli roth's knock knock alongside producers sandra Locke and keanu reeves paul michael glazer was dr peter ross and i don't know how many times i saw his name and kept thinking mark paul gosler paul michael gosler was dr peter ross he's starsky from starsky and hutch and he was also perchick in fiddler on the roof he also directed the running man the cutting edge the air up there and kazam interesting Susan Hogan played Jenny St. Clair. She was Sharon Fairbanks on The L Word. And she's Dorothy Haywood, mother of Nate Haywood, a.k.a. Steele, in the DC television universe. John Kolakos played Barnes. He's McLeod in Scorpio. He's Count Baltar in Battlestar Galactica. We had him earlier this year as Captain DeWitt in The Changeling. He's the one who dies in the upside-down police car. He plays Nick Papadakis in The Postman Always Rings Twice. And he's the voice of Apocalypse on X-Men the Animated Series. I was super excited to see that credit. Yeah. I was like, oh man, I remember that voice. That's a good voice. He's also Core on Deep Space Nine. David Bolt was Henry Owen. He plays Weller in Prom Night earlier this year. That was, uh, I think, one of the guys that was like uh, a chaperone for the dance. Um, He's also Raphael in Videodrome. Patricia Collins was Dr. Alice Toland here. She plays Mrs. Ralston in Nothing Personal. I don't remember who that would have been. I don't remember a lot of characters from that movie. Lisa Langelis was Laura Adams. She played Amelia in Happy Birthday to Me and Patsy in Class of 1984. Alexandra Stewart was Barbara Gray. She plays Stacy in Truffaut's Day for Night. She's Dorothy with two E's in Emmanuel Three, And she plays Edie in Frantic. Kenneth Welsh was Sergeant Wheeler. I think that's the assistant to Barnes. Yes. And uh, he plays Tom Malone, the father of Father Malone, in the Fog remake. So in the remake of the Fog, Father Malone is younger 
Mm-hmm. And this guy plays the father of the father. So it'd be the son of the grandfather who caused all the harm in the first Possibly. place? Possibly. I haven't seen that one. He plays Wyndham Earl on Twin Peaks and Vice President Becker in The Day After Tomorrow. He plays Jim Baker in The Day Reagan Was Shot. And he plays Buck Corona Third, a famed hunter of cryptozoological creatures looking to bag a jackalope on the Erie, Indiana series. <laughs> Um, that's everybody I had for the credits there. Uh, I I only wanted to bring up uh, the actor who played Bubba King, uh, Robert O'Ree or Ree, sorry, Robert O'Ree. Yeah. Um, only because when I was looking through his credits, I saw that uh, he was in uh, some Captain Power videos. Captain uh, Power. Captain Power was a weird, cool kind of thing. It was a toy line where um, you would have like a spaceship. And you would interact with these VHS cassettes that had seizure-inducing things on the screen oh, <laughs> that would trigger the spaceship to like take damage, or you could pull the trigger at, and shoot at the targets, which would score you points. And then at, at the end, when you looked at the toy, it would tell you how many points you scored. Huh. But it had all these like interactive, like in all these cutscenes with like actors and stuff. And he played a part in the in the videos. In in one of the vid- videos, that, yeah, that's great. And I got super excited when I saw Captain Power. Yes, <laughs> I never even heard of that um jess up or down oh it's a down yeah it's a down there's there's not a lot no let me rephrase that there's nothing redeeming about this film the best thing it has going for it is the poster which i think looks pretty cool and the premise honestly they it, i like it, the it, title it's <laughs> a cool premise to have screwed up so badly yeah phobia is yeah. not bad yeah i it it had potential but it was it, yeah they screwed it up really bad and like I just I kept rewriting the movie as I was watching it. Like that's yeah. not good. I would have called this movie Fear Itself. Because then we have it to fear, right? Richard, up or down? Uh it's a <laughs> down. Over hosting duties. Uh it, it's a <laughs> It's definitely a down for me. Um I although um I think that I'm going to have it up higher on my list than you guys. Um because I I don't know. There was some things about this movie that I I did enjoy. Um, I did I did like. I feel like for the most part, it's it's a well made movie. Um, uh, I don't know. There was a lot of stuff that was dark. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's dark, and there was definitely some like odd editing. But yeah. but I I liked some of the ideas that they had. Like I really liked that scene up on the ledge where you couldn't hear what was going on, and you're like, oh man, what are they saying? But it also kind of just drove home more for me that Ross is the guy. Yeah. Like, from the get-go, when he's telling people to go places and then not telling them that he's going somewhere else or not telling his girlfriend that a stranger is going to become pounding on your door and just to let him in, it's like, this is all really odd behavior. And and he cares more about his hockey games than he does about yeah, being that, professional. I, I was like, what? I mean... I, I thought that maybe they were trying to establish something with that, but now I see that they were. He was just trying to establish some sort of alibi. Yeah, it's everything just seems like I said lazy before, but it just seems poorly crafted. Like it wasn't thoughtful to try to mislead you. It wasn't thoughtful about how we get from A to B, and it just it just really bugs me that they didn't put more effort into making everything makes sense and to try to point you in a direction that would be like oh 
you see, it made a lot of sense this way, but oh, I was tricked. It's actually him. This is the way it should be. And I get, and I, it doesn't mean that I need to have a film be like, you know, be twisty. Like it doesn't have to be, but it just didn't feel well thought out to mislead you. I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's the problem of the movie. It's, you try to, you're trying to connect some explanations that don't just, the movie just doesn't explain enough and doesn't, solidify enough of anything for it to come together in a rational thought but also when you point to the hockey games as his alibi it's weird to say that that's his alibi and that he uses it multiple times for like two or three different murders but it's not even a good alibi because for the first murder it was a timed explosive or it was like it was triggered by someone opening this cabinet so it doesn't matter if he was in the apartment or at the hockey game right no matter what like he would still be a suspect in that and also he could not have been at the hockey game and drowned this woman at the same time and they make that clear because it turns out he doesn't have it as an alibi because the guy at the hockey rink is like i have no idea if he was here at that time yeah, yeah. He, he he was just there yeah and it's like this why even go to the game if that's not a useful alibi well it certainly adds confusion because because barnes uh does not know what's going on or at least doesn't understand why it's going on and that's the only thing he really cares about okay so i think there are two ways you can handle the movie like this but you've you've obviously made it a mystery as to what's happening right so either you're going to make it sort of be misleading you like you're going to throw out those red herrings and then you're going to bring it back at the end to make it all make sense or you're just going to make it make it all obviously one person and then put in the missing piece that indicates that person at the end, right? Yeah. You, you fill in that missing thread that says all of these things were pointing to this person the whole time. And they did neither of those things. See, and, and I think what would be a more interesting movie would be the final test. If they would survive the final test, then they would be cured. Like if – So, if so it's so like so – uh, somebody survives. It's like a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, like, like if, if – uh, like – uh, like, just well, one of them. Well, maybe not just one of them, but like, had Henry Owen been talked off the beam, he would have been cured. Like, because he got up there, mm-hmm. and if he got off safely, he would be cured. And and to me, like, th- that's a bad example because like we don't we didn't know that was going to happen. What if Laura was the last victim, and he had her cornered and tried to rape her? And she fought him off and like yeah. shot him. Yeah. And then he was like, I did it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. As he was yeah. dying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the final test should have been something that they could escape from if they were got control of their fear. Well, or like what would have been great is we could have used Bubba. Like they could have gotten to the room where he was down with Bubba and he could have already been dead. They figured out what had been happening the whole time. And Bubba's like, I, I did it. I touched the snake and I. You know, I threw it at him and he bit him. You know, like mm-hmm. I mastered my fear. He told me it wasn't poisonous. I thought we were just playing a joke. Yeah. But I mean, it would have been great if any of them had, had yeah, had succeeded. And then and- you just cut to 30 years later and Bubba's still on death row for murdering all these people. Well, I'm just saying, I, I just love the idea that Richard, Richard has. Yeah. Th- curing their phobia allowed them to kill him and prevent him from killing right. it again. Who killed Johnny Venuti? I assume he did. And he wasn't there. I guess he made up the police ticket. He was there. I don't know. Well, the ticket, I mean, a made-up ticket, could be that could be verified. As soon as he gets smashed in the elevator, the police run upstairs to the apartment to call an ambulance, and they look out the window, and 
Ross's car is pulling up. So he wasn't there when whoever activated the Yeah, because he looks at the one and goes, Ross, get up here. Yeah. Maybe he just came from around the block. I don't know. He just did a big circle around. I don't think he even did it because why would he have been there ready to do that if he had no idea that this guy was going to jump on top of the elevator? How could he have planned for a guy to climb up that building? He couldn't have been there waiting. They they, they called him to they that. They called him. So it's not like he crafted that either. He's just a happy, it was a happy accident that he got to talk that guy off the ledge. Mm-hmm. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Like, to plummet. Might as well jump. Bum, bum, bum. All right. I think that's about everything for this one. We should letterbox it up. Sure. Why not? <laughs> uh, what do you think? Just letterboxed. It's real low. I did not like this movie. It was a difficult watch, actually. And see, I, I, I didn't, I agree, fully agree. This movie's dumb and it's a down for me and I don't want to recommend it to anyone. I didn't ha- have a difficult time watching this. Yeah. I, I was confused. Like I certainly was confused. And so the movie did that well because I'm like, I don't understand why they don't suspect him. <laughs> yeah. Because that- that's the way they're throwing you off. But- they're throwing you off of his scent by just not saying he's the obvious suspect when he's the obvious suspect. Yeah. That is a weird tactic, though, to be like, well, what if we just never mention him as a possible suspect? <laughs> yeah. Does that mean that no one will? And they kind of did the same thing with Toland for the first act. Mm-hmm. They're just like, uh, oh, he has like a bitter ex-lover? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, and she had a key to his apartment? Anyway, let's not mention or, her again or, for or, the rest of the movie. Or maybe an obsessive girlfriend who keeps trying to tell him you need to stop this and you need to get away. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, you're throwing all these things. But I still, still, I'm still pretty sure it's just him. Yeah, yeah. What if it's just the landlady who? Oh my god! Yeah, no, yes. here's here's the here's the motive. The landlady is killing all of his patients because she wants him fired because his apartment is rent controlled, <laughs> and she needs him to have to move out so that she can up the rent for the next person. Perfect. I think any of our versions of this movie would have been better. I have it eighth from the bottom right now. Okay. It is a uh, below Bon Voyage Charlie Brown and Oof. just above Loose Shoes. Mine's not that low. It's not high. Um, I have it just above the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu and just under the kidnapping of the president. <laughs> almost Very ex- long titles. Almost exactly where I have mine. I just have one other movie in between Fu Manchu. Uh, so I have it below kidnapping of a president, uh, but just above Return of the Sakaka 7. Okay. See, I, I was going to put it a little bit higher, but then I realized that all of those movies that you guys named like Fu Manchu and even the American president one more fun to watch. This movie was just infuriating. Yeah. All right. Now I think that's about it for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are vintage video pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and letterboxd or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing the exterminator, which IMDB describes like so. A man's best friend is killed on the streets of New York City. The man then transforms into a violent killer, turning New York City into a great war zone, and Christopher George is the only one who can stop him. Why would they use the actor's name <laughs> right there? That's a weird choice. Also, not in it, not really accurate. No, not at all. We leave you now with the trailer for The Exterminator. The Exterminator.
In war, you have to kill to survive. On the streets of New York, the choice is the same. For the exterminator. on. The police are chasing a killer who's not only smarter than they are, he's doing their job. That's what it's like to be a victim. The exterminator, the man they push too far. Thank you.